The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Welcome to Food for Thought. Your table is now ready. Your servers will be Nate Geary and Bruce Nolan. Our specials today are cold, hard facts and fresh, hot takes. Can I get you started with... I'm sorry, just one moment. Can I get a little energy in here? Serving it up to you live on the Buffalo Rumblings VidCast Network. I'm Bruce Nolan. That's not Nate Geary, but this is still Food for Thought, a show that combines two of your three favorite F-words, football and food. The third one is obviously fireworks. Get your head out of the gutter. But given (laughs) the fact that Mr. Nate Geary is not here with me this evening, I brought along somebody who I thought might be able to offer some insight into where the Bills find themselves thus far into the season. Mr. Matt Perino of NYOpandSyracuse.com, co-host of the Shout Buffalo Football Podcast, Bills beat writer, Mr. Matt Perino. How you doing? I'm good, buddy. Um, You know, you upgraded this week. What can I say? Uh, You know, you. (laughs) how long has this show been going on for No. Uh, this is show number like seven or eight or something like All that. All right. That's a lot of Nate Geary. That's a lot of Friday nights with Nate Geary. And so, you know, you're a professional. You, you've gotten to this point. I'm proud of you. But, you know, you upgraded for I'm just kidding. Me and Nate. Nate Nate's, Nate's awesome, man. Like, I, I think he does a great job. I'm pumped to go to his event next week. I wish you were in town. Even if you were in town. You wouldn't be there because, you know, the whole FBI thing. I don't do things like that. But, you know, it's weird. <laughs> it's weird. You know, I um, this show didn't really wasn't really intended to come up like this. So what happened was I was looking for simultaneously. I was looking for a co-host to take on a little bit of the burden for one of the shows per week. In mm-hmm. addition, I was trying to contribute a little bit toward the Buffalo Rumbly's YouTube channel. So I reached out to Nate and I said, hey, I'm looking for these things. You are kind of plugged in in the space. Do you have any thoughts for me? Like, you know, a lot of people, you've had a lot of guests, you know, a lot of people in this space. Let's talk a little bit about what you think I should do in this space. Who do you think I should 
you know, I should talk to you. And he just sent me a gift back of this person very slowly raising his own hand and then pointing <laughs> at his own hand going, me, you should pick me. I'm the guy you should pick for this job. And I was like, oh, I, I didn't think you were interested. Okay, yeah, let's do it. And that's kind of how this, this all happened. And then my wife came up with the idea for the name. And we're both big foodies. And of course, Nate wasn't able to do the show with Marcel Louis Jacques because of course he ended up leaving to go cover the Miami Dolphins. And so it just kind of fell into place and we ended up having a good time about it. But we're going to kick it off our conversation today with something that I think is very poignant and very topical this evening. And that is, we're going to talk about comfort food. But before we do, because I get horribly out of order. Remember to like, subscribe, rate, review, all the engagement things that I don't really understand when it comes to algorithm. Just kidding. I looked them up. I totally understand them. But <laughs> make sure you like, subscribe, rate, review, comment, all the wonderful things. We will try to get to as many comments as humanly possible tonight. We will not get to all of them, but we will get to every YouTube super chat. So we're going to talk about comfort food. And the reason we're going to talk about comfort food is because I kind of feel like we need it this week. That for the second year in a row, the Buffalo Bills lost a game going into the bye week. And immediately after the Hale Murray play last year, I went over to my wife and I said, okay, you know, what are we eating for dinner? And she bought the dinner. And I, I took a picture. And I was very excited about it. And someone responded to me and said, Bruce, how can you eat at a time like this? They said, how can you eat right now? How can you even think about food? And I said, first off, I, I'm always thinking about food. So that never stopped. And second off, comfort food is called comfort food for a reason. It's not just because it's heavy and it makes us feel warm. And sometimes it has an association with like the Southern part of the United States. It's because it makes you feel good. It's not necessarily good for you. It's not necessarily something you want to eat all the time, or you'll be extremely comfortable because you won't be able to move. But it's something that makes you feel happy inside. So Matt, I want to pitch this to you. When you think about comfort food, what immediately comes to mind for you? Without a doubt, pizza. Like to me, like if you're talking about getting me in my happy place and like, you know, you know, a, a lot of people might think like wings because like we're in Buffalo and obviously I stand Buffalo wings more than most people. But it's really pizza and it's Buffalo pizza. Like, you know, when I'm in New York City, I always grab a New York City slice or Chicago deep dish. Uh, I've had some pretty good pizza around the country. But for me, I grew up on that thicker, uh, th thicker crust, uh, sweet sauce. And I'm a I'm a Buffalo pizza guy. So like if I'm I joked about it today, it's actually, you know, fitting that I'm on this show tonight because I, I tweeted about like this afternoon, like we need more like health, healthy, like eateries in town like i when i was in las vegas there was like a bunch of places um and i don't even talking about like chain things i was talking about like specific healthy you know um health driven food uh lunch spots and there's this one place called greens and protein and you can get a burger you can get a some type of salad a bowl even their breakfast stuff like pancakes and stuff like that it was all like concocted you know with you know macros and you know, nutrition in mind and um, I think we, we could just use more of that. And somebody tweeted at it like me that they'd been in Buffalo for a couple of days and now they have to detox after leaving. And I'm like, yeah, I feel this in my soul because I've been here back three, three years now. And it's been hard to stay in shape. But I said, even with that said, I'm probably gonna have pizza tonight. And what do we do? We went and had pizza. Now I didn't have Buffalo pizza. We went to Rocco's, um, 
wood fired. Uh, uh, I got a recommendation to go try that. It was good. It was good. It wasn't Buffalo pizza, but for me, that's comfort food. So when you go to New York, you get your favorite New York slice. It's Sparrow, right? That's that's where you get your favorite New York slice. <laughs> I do like a video outside of Sabaro and do that whole bit. But then I go to an actual good New York City pizza there place. Go. There you go. Good, 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 good. I have only recently been introduced to the concept of Buffalo pizza. A couple of years ago, I went with my previous co-host, Nick. And then um, when I went up recently to drop off some boxes to Nate a couple months ago, uh, Nate was moving and put out a... a kind of a tweet it was like hey i need some boxes i said dude i have a ton of boxes in my in my basement and he's like mm. you're gonna will you drive them up for me i said yeah sure i'll drive them up to buffalo <laughs> so i got in my car on a weekend and we drove all the way up to buffalo it was a long long drive but i was like oh it's a good time you know my wife can go up there and we can see you know we can see uh some buffalo pizza and we had some buffalo pizza up there and we we really enjoyed it, it was my first time with picasso's and i know picasso's mm. is kind of controversial uh, Buffalo pizza, but we really, really, really enjoyed it. So for me, when I think about comfort food, I think about things like, like shepherd's pie and mashed potatoes and Mac and cheese. And I think it's because I've lived all over the country. So for me, when I think about comfort food, I think of Southern food. I think of mm. heavy, big casserole dishes full of food. I think of something that really should be on Thanksgiving instead of some of the nonsensical Thanksgiving food that we have for no reason. You've probably already heard this or not, but I, I, I rail against the vast majority of Thanksgiving food. But for me, comfort food is that. It is the stick to your ribs, big scoop of this, scoop of that sort of food. It's the stuff you pile high on your plate. Buff Hub is in here saying gumbo. I am all about gumbo. Give me gumbo. Wow. My wife makes ridiculous gumbo. And historically, this is very weird, has made it for the NFL draft. I don't know what gumbo has to do with the NFL draft, but we've had gumbo for the NFL draft like multiple years over the last decade or so. So that has been that has been a good time. And the Bills might need a little comfort food. And Bills fans might need a little comfort food because they're coming off a loss to the Tennessee Titans. And so what I want to do a little bit right now, Matt, is I want to state to you either a fact or a take, a fact being something that I think is pretty objectively true, but a take being some, maybe it's my opinion. I'm going to state it to you, and I want you to tell me what you think it means. You could say, I think it means nothing, and here's why. I think it might mean something. Here's why or why not. I think it maybe is probable that it means something, or it definitely means something, right? So I'm going to state something to you, and then I want you to tell me, okay, this is what I think about the thing that you laid out. So the first thing I want to say is that the Bills defense has played very, very strongly this entire year. At one point, they were the highest, or in this case, the lowest, DVOA in NFL history for a single game against the Houston Texans. Now, that all the way continued until the second quarter of the Tennessee Titans game. When the second quarter of the Tennessee Titans game hit, there were three straight quarters where the Bills defense basically didn't stop them at anything. The mm -hmm. only thing that stopped the Tennessee Titans after the first quarter was halftime. That's it. The clock stopped the Tennessee Titans. Aside from that, nobody stopped the Tennessee Titans. Does it mean something? Um, definitely not. So I... I 
I've seen a lot of like panic. I shouldn't say a lot, some panic on social media from, from this matchup. And I think we get so caught up in the moments from week to week. And that's how the NFL is built. Right, Bruce? I mean, week to week, we dive into the result of a game after a seven day, usually seven days lead up to a game. And then we scrutinize every angle in it and we live in the moment. And it's this this big thing. And I think last year provided, you know, uh, a perfect example, you know, when the Bills lost on that uh, Hal Murray, if you will. I mean, the defense didn't play great that day. I mean, they were they were all right. They did a pretty good job against uh, against Kyler Murray. But, you know, they they also got they made some plays in that game, too. And, you know, there were other games last year defensively where I thought the Bills really were, you know, not great, at least not to the standard that that had been set with Sean McDermott in this this regime previously. But I think what this was was a, a one off matchup. Number one, a team offensively that's built to give the Bills trouble now. Just because they're built to give the Bills trouble doesn't mean they're going to give the Bills trouble in future matchups. If anything, what I took away from this is if I'm Leslie Frazier or Sean McDermott, I'm like, good. I'm glad that this happened in a regular season environment for us to have an opportunity to learn where we need to get better and how we can better utilize our pieces. You know, my biggest takeaway from this game is the defensive line just didn't get it done. If you play that game 10 times, right? That is one of 10 times probably where you don't sack Ryan Tannehill playing behind that offensive line a single time. I don't think it happens again in 10 matchups. It was just well-executed game plan by the Titans. They got that Derrick Henry involved. And because of that 76-yard run early, it really made the Bills sell out to stop the run. Because then I think you you kind of get a little bit nervous in that spot. Was there holding? Probably. Who cares? But it's a big-time play. It's a 76-yard touchdown. On the third drive, after you shut the, the Titans down in the first two drives, that makes you collectively take a step back and say, okay, this could potentially be a problem. We know there's an aura around Derrick Henry, right? And so the way that the game played out, they took advantage of a matchup, whether it was Tredavious White or Levi Wallace, A.J. Brown is a problem against the secondary. He always kind of has been every time they played. He hasn't had any like superstar, like Titanic, you know, output uh, statistical production games but he's always consistently making plays against the secondary and they got to him found how to utilize him in the second half and I think that, that opened things up even more in the red zone for Henry in this running game but no I think that this is a, a regime with Leslie Frazier and Sean McDermott the continuity there the continuity with the players to go back to the drawing board that you know should a similar type of off offense come along Titans or otherwise they'll probably have a better plan for it as you mentioned, we over-scrutinize. And I think one of the things that's interesting about the NFL versus other leagues is that the time between games is so significant, but the interest is so high that by almost by law of physics, a vacuum is abhorring being empty. And so nature abhors a vacuum and the vacuum gets filled. And so you end up with these ridiculous takes between games and over-analyzing and over-scrutinizing where in other sports where there's a game every other day or a game every third mm -hmm. day or a game, two games every week, there's not enough time to overreact to one game because at some point you start discussing trends. Okay, Jack Eichel hasn't been good for three games in a row. Now, mind you, that's the only player I know on the Sabres, and I know he's not playing, and I know it's something with his neck, and it's a big month. So, so don't go in the comments and say anything about that because I don't know anything about the Sabres. I'm just using an example. But in basketball, 
you say, okay, there's a slump. James Harden's in a slump. Somebody's in a slump. Why? It's not one game. It's four games. It's six games because you didn't have time to react to one. You only ever have time to react to the rolling set of predetermined games. But in the NFL, you have one game and then six days to sit on it. And in addition to that, it's the most popular sport in America. So when you have those two things in combination, you have a supply issue where there's not enough of it, but you have a massive amount of demand. So you end up with this over ravenous mindset that ends up creating narratives where sometimes there isn't any. And let's be honest, sometimes I, as a podcaster, I'm the beneficiary of this because people are cons- overconsumptive of content. Let's be honest. The only reason you're listening to this show right now is if you're an absolute psycho Bills fan. <laughs> and you also happen to love food. Like if you're a casual fan, you're not here on a Friday night spending it with me and Matt Perino talking about comfort food and the Buffalo Bills. The only people in the comment section right now are people who are big Bills fans. So sometimes I'm the beneficiary of that and I understand that. But it does have a tendency to lend itself toward, as you mentioned, overreaction or even a slight amount of panic. So here's something else I want to bring up. Ed Oliver, in the breakout that we've seen this year from Tremaine Edmonds. I made a comment that 2020, it's looking like 2020 was Tremaine Edmonds blip year. He got blipped out in 2020. And then 2020, Mm -hmm. he came right back, right where he was on in 2019. But Ed Oliver was another breakout candidate this year. So far this year, Ed Oliver has nine pressures and zero sacks. One quarterback hit, eight hurries. He is on pace to have less total pressures, less hits, less sacks, and less hurries than any year before him. So, knowing that, I ask again, Mr. Perino, does it mean something? Um, Sorry, I'm going through my options here. I think it might mean a little something if that, if that falls into one of the categories. Um, I have... It doesn't mean something, and then what's the second one? It doesn't mean something. It might mean something. It probably means something or it definitely means something. Okay. It might mean something. I'm going to go with that. So the thing with Ed Oliver is I think since he was drafted, I go back to this and think about this every time I'm I'm, I'm watching a game back and I, I'm focusing in on him. And I remember some of the conversations that we had when the lights went off after the first few games and he was like, oh, This is a lot harder than I thought it was going to be. And for whatever reason, and I don't, he's never said this. This isn't something that's coming from him, but I've always since felt like that wake up call has almost been like this mental block that he's had ever since he had the, he's had breakout games. He's had, he's had games where he's elevated his level of play. I mean, that Dallas Cowboys game I've said since it happened, in his rookie year, if that becomes the regular norm for Ed Oliver, he's a perennial pro bowler. I mean, that was a spectacular game. He was affecting the quarterback. The problem that we're sitting here in year three is, and this kind of boils in, this kind of bakes into something I've been talking about for the last couple of days on our show. I went on Jeremy White's show on WJR, talked about the same thing. There's no superstars in this defensive line right now. There just aren't. Jerry Hughes is the closest thing you got. And I'd make an argument that his best role, especially at this point in his career, at his age, is a Robin to somebody else's Batman. They drafted Ed Oliver to be the Batman, and he has not been. 
you, when you spend a top 10 pick on a defensive lineman, that's what you're doing it for because you are going to get production when it comes to rushing the passer. It hasn't happened yet. And that's to me concerning and where I think he's flashed. And I think it's a good thing because, you know, you're going into, you know, go back over the last couple of years. And there were times when this bill's defense was really suspect against the run. It's not so much the, I, you know, obviously the Derrick Henry game, notwithstanding, although I would argue outside of three or four runs, they did a pretty decent job on Derrick Henry, but this is a defensive line that I think is, well-equipped to handle the run. I think Ed Oliver is really good against the run. I think uh, Greg Rousseau is really good against the run. I think star having him there as well is really important, but the return of star was supposed to unlock, you know, chaos creating pass rusher Ed Oliver, and it just hasn't. And so if you're asking me, am I concerned? Yeah, because I look around this defensive line. I don't see another potential superstar yet. Greg Rousseau might turn into that. But as much as I don't think he needed a red shirt year, I do think it's going to be like an ebb and flow. It's going to be an up and down line over the course of the season where one game against Miami or uh, was it Miami where he had the two sacks and really looked good and, you know, made some big splash plays. And then obviously on the Kansas City game a couple weeks later has the interception, has the sack, but it then it up and down and he was almost invisible as a pass rusher against Tennessee. And that's, you know, horrible considering how bad that offensive line is. And so if you're asking me right now outside of a trade and obviously there's no you know marquee pass rushers available as in free agency the guy in this roster that has to turn into at least borderline superstar level to me is Ed Oliver and right now I don't see a path to that as a pass rusher because we haven't seen it now in 6 games I was on with Joe Marino on Locked on Bills and he said you know what what needs to happen you think between now and the end of the year in order for this defense to be really, really confirmed themselves as elite. And I said, Greg Rousseau, development. And mm -hmm. quite frankly, I left out at Oliver because I think there's a reasonable chance that what we've seen from Al Oliver is what we've seen from Al Oliver. He's a good right. player. He's a good player. But like you said, he's not bad. You know, and I think that it's interesting when you look at the resources devoted to the defensive line, when it comes to, this is the second year in a row that the Buffalo Bills have made an entire revamp of their defensive line going into 2020. It was acquiring Vernon Butler. It was acquiring Quentin Jefferson. It was, it was drafting AJ Epinesa. And this year it's Gregory Rousseau. It's Boogie Basham. It's Starla Tule coming back. It's the second year in a row where there's a major shift in the defensive line. And neither one of the times you would say you ended up with a really, really high level pass rushing defensive line, at least not yet. Now, of course, we could end up seeing Gregory Rousseau break out the last half of the year. It's been proven that rookies in their back eight games are almost always more productive than rookies in their first eight games, barring health problems. Always. So the best of Gregory Rousseau's rookie year, I'm not going to say the best is yet to come because now I'm looking way down the road. I'm just talking about the best of his rookie year is probably still yet to come. And that's mm -hmm. coming from a guy who watched him get eight pressures and two sacks against the Miami Dolphins in week two, which was a really good game. I watched him tip a ball in the air and intercept it against the Kansas City Chiefs. I still think the best of Gregory Rousseau is yet to come this particular year. Buff Hub in the comment section says they need to make up their mind, stick to a four starting defensive line. Let's talk a little bit about the rotation. It's historically been a Sean McDermott staple. We saw it in Carolina. We saw it since he showed up here. He believes in waves and waves of good players, keeping people players fresh, 
having making sure that there are players out there who can give 110% energy because they're not getting worn down over the course of a game. How do you feel mm-hmm. about the defensive line rotation? Should we make anything of it? I like it. I mean, from people that I've talked to in the league, like guys that I trust, guys that I, you know, I respect, you know, what you're able to do when you have that kind of those kinds of numbers, the freshness level. Like I think Mario Addison even talked about it, like especially at his age now at 34 years old, you can't be an effective pass rusher if you're tired. And you go back into the last season and like guys like, you know, Mario Addison, Jerry Hughes and that Chiefs game, they looked exhausted. And, you know, I think that they need to find a four that they can kind of trust. And listen, you know, you mentioned Greg Rousseau, AJ Epinesa is in year two. There's he's had a breakout game at this point. The Miami game was one of the most spectacular pass rush games I've seen, especially without a sack in my four now, like three plus years covering the team. But I think that you look at this defensive line and and what they have, the problem to me is your two best pass rushers consistently are the guys that probably need the most rest when it comes to the rotation on game day. And if that's going to be the case, depending on who the matchup is, that's where I think you fall into some problems. I think it's why a lot of people were questioning the decision to bring back, to restructure Mario Addison and bring him back. I think that they, by doing that, they were really banking on one of the three young guys really popping or Effie Obata. The problem with Obata is, and I think we've seen it now clearly in these last two games, he's not a, a game impactor from the edge as much as he is when he's able to cause some, some nonsense rushing from the inside in the interior. I think what he did against Kansas City, that's his wheelhouse. That's when you want to utilize him, when you can rush him inside, when you can go a little bit smaller. But if you're asking him to rush predominantly from the edge, he's almost invisible. And, you know, maybe Greg Rousseau has a better game and, and that turns things around and make you make a couple more plays. You get a, you get off the field a couple more times. And maybe that does happen to your point over the course of the second half of the season. But I don't have a problem with the rotation. My problem is if the guys that they banked on AJ, Greg, and to a lesser extent, Boogie Basham, who I know a lot of fans want to see more of. But again, I think he falls in the same pot as Effie Obata. I don't think he's a impact player on the edge yet either but we'll see i think a lot of this is wait and see and they're going to have a lot of ideal matchups over the course of the season because of the schedule that's going to allow them to maybe build some confidence um and find where the the sweet spot is of all that but i think addison played all that talk about like you know keeping him fresh i think he played like the second most snaps of any defensive end uh, against tennessee and to me that's not the formula Pooms 33 in the comments says, since the Bills defensive line doesn't have a Batman, they have to work together to become like the Guardians of the Galaxy. Very fitting given the fact that Gregory Rousseau is Groot. So if Gregory Rousseau is Groot, then we can all agree that Jerry Hughes is Star-Lord, right? Like we can all agree that Jerry Hughes is Star-Lord. And I think there's a reasonable chance that A.J. Epinesa is Drax the Destroyer. That feels right to me. Um, Now, this is a really important question. Who's Rocket? Matt, who's Rocket Raccoon on the Bills' defensive line? Is it Ed Oliver? Uh, I'd probably go with Basham just because he's like this little, you know, plucky kid that like, you know, he looks like he's ready to go. He looks like he's ready to get some more action. I think he, in a lot of ways, I think that's too disrespectful to put on Ed Oliver, to be honest with you. I think he's, I think he means more to this defensive line than that. Um, And I think that Boogie could, could turn into something. I just think this is a year where, you know, 
sometimes I think like, sure, is there a chance for him to, to, to mature? Is there a chance for him to develop into something? Of course there is. Like there's obviously something that McDermott and company saw in him and, and Brandon Bean and why they drafted him. But there's also a reason he, he was available at 60. You know, I think that there was a lot of people that evaluated him and were and, and didn't see the the ability to, you know, rush the passer consistently on the edge. And I think that that's something we've seen even when he was activated. He didn't jump off the screen at me at all. I know he had the one sack. He had a nice little secondary rush there, but I thought it was more of a, you know, the quarterback not getting rid of the ball. You know, when you see Jerry Hughes rush the passer, I mean, these guys are getting the ball out of their hands in under two and a half seconds. I mean, it's they snap and it's gone and he's there. You're not seeing that from Rousseau. I mean, you saw it from a, in, for, for a game from Epinesa, and that's the guy you should be seeing it from because he was leading the NFL in get-off time to start the season. I don't know what happened in the last couple of days. I still think him getting inactivated was super weird. Like, we asked Sean McDermott about it, and he was basically like, you know, uh, we wanted to take a look. We, it was the matchup game. We wanted to take a look at a, at a couple other players, and it's like, I get that, and but I don't, I don't activate Afi Obata in any circumstance in that game to bench ADJ Epinesa. So to me, it gets me wondering, what is there anything more to this? Maybe there's not. Maybe it was a one-off game where they're just, you know, they're going to be in their bag sometimes trying to manipulate these matchups with as much depth as they have in the defensive line. But I, I don't know. I still didn't, I, I didn't like it then, and I, I still don't like it. I was going to ask you how you felt about the AJ Epinesa uh, benching. I mentioned on locked on bills with Joe Marino I was talking and I said you know sometimes I feel like when you have a lot of depth on a team you can overthink your things you can overthink things you know we see this all the time in fantasy football all the time if you have a really good player on the bench you might even put a stud on the bench because you really like the matchup for your your bench player but the closer those two things get the closer your starter you can't see me doing air quotes the, the starter gets to your bench player the more you start to kind of bleed into each other there a little bit, and you go, oh, I'm going to get a little cute, you know? The Spud1129 says, I have a serious question I've been wondering about. What's your opinion on McDermott not clapping at all this year? He seems too serious. I miss the rah-rah McDermott. Am I overthinking it? First off, yes, you're absolutely overthinking it when it comes to clapping. But also, I really think that what's really happening is Michael Lucas is on to something. I think that the TV broadcast is hiding it from us. I think they're trying to avoid the absolute psychitude that would happen if you constantly showed McDermott clapping. I'm thinking maybe there's like a super cut out there somewhere of literally just McDermott clapping to like the beat of some song. I'm not entirely sure. If there's not, I could probably make it. Literally just McDermott clapping along with the beat of some sort of clapalicious sort of song. But yeah, I don't know. I have my, I have my next assignment for the, the, the Dolphins game in week seven there, there uh, week eight. I got to get my binoculars out. Make sure that I, I can find some clapping for Sean clap, McDermott. Clap, Stay clap. tuned. Follow at Matt Perino. You'll find it. Matt will tell us. He will put this to bed once and for all. Is McDermott lack of clapping a problem? The hot breaking topics, the huge topics that you get here only exclusively on Food for Thought, a Buffalo Rumblings podcast. We have been spending the evening thus far with Matt Perino of nyup.com, syracuse.com, and co-host of The Shout Buffalo football podcast with Ryan Talbot. And that's kind of where I want to move forward, but I really want to touch on this first. If you are the Buffalo bills right now, mm -hmm. and the bye week is kind of a, let's get back to the lab sort of a week for a lot of football teams. What is on your to-do list 
for the Buffalo Bills this week. Okay, we looked really good. We're four and two. Everything's going fairly well. What's on your to-do list if you're the Buffalo Bills? I want to get this fixed. I want to get this fixed. I want to expand on this. I want to try this. If you're in the lab, you're Brian Dable, Leslie Frazier, Sean McDermott, position coaches, what's on your list? I think first and foremost, if I'm Brian Dable, I'm dialing up a couple extra sessions of red zone um, in practice. Now, they work they work red zone pretty heavily, uh, to my understanding. Um, I, we were talking – I did a story with Davis Webb last year. You can find it if you search uh, Davis Webb, um, New York Upstate or Syracuse.com. And he, he really detailed his week. But in it, it kind of went over what the Bills do – day to day during the practice week. Like, you know, they work on first down, then they work second and third down. They work red zone on certain days. And I'd imagine that red zone will be a little bit more of a focus. The bills, you know, are in the, among the bottom of the league in red zone percentage. Now, Jeremy made a good point today. Jeremy white, you know, part of the, the percentage issue is that the bills have so many trips to the red zone and they're moving the ball with such ease and putting that pressure on teams that I think it's just kind of natural over time with that many opportunities for the percentage to dip down a little bit. But I think that they need to be more, I think they need to be more like urgent in the red zone. And like, I, I think going, I, to that final drive against Tennessee, there's a couple timeouts, right? If I remember correctly, I don't like those timeouts in that scenario. Like when you're, when you're putting the pressure as an offense, like this is an offense that has insane continuity. They've been together. Most of them, this is their third season together, you know, offensive line wise, Dawson Knox, Cole Beasley. I know Stefan Diggs, but Stefan Diggs and Manuel Sanders, you don't need that. Those guys are vets of the league. Like this is a, this is an offense that knows what they're doing probably even if Brian Dable had to leave the booth for, you know, a quarter, they'd figure it out. So in that situation, I'd like them to be a little bit more aggressive and a little bit more assertive and urgent in their approach. And part of that comes down to having some faith and trust in your, in, in your run game in the red zone. I, I don't feel like I've seen enough just smash mouth, um, put it on your offensive lineman. You want to run more? Let me see it. Prove it to me. We're going we're gonna to dial up some runs for Zach Moss or Devin Singletary. It's primarily been Moss in the red zone. But when it's gone right in that area, I mean, I go back, I think it was the Miami game when he had those two red zone touchdowns. I mean, dude runs with aggression in the, in the red area. I want to see a little bit more of that. And I think it just comes down to percentages over the course of the season, especially with the matchups that are on tap will probably change a little bit. But first and foremost, that's where I'm I'm really hunkering down and, and trying to emphasize that defensively, man, like, I don't know, like pass rush, like uh, that's about it. Like get just just continuing to, you know, go through your games and your stunts. And obviously the Bills do a lot of things in the defensive line. You know, they in, in the practice environment and this goes even back to training camp. There's there's periods of practice where. You know, they line up the, the the four dummies and they and they all just they just do verse air reps, like going through where they're supposed to be, the positioning, the how to like feed off of another guy's move. And like some of that stuff might be kind of baked into this to, to the lack of success on this defensive line. So, listen, this is a four and two football team. I get it. But there's you go and look at the stats on both sides of the ball. They're, they're jaw dropping. I mean, this is a team that's. Near, at the top or near the top in almost every statistical category that matters. And 
I think they're number two in the league in scoring, which is the most important one. So there's not a lot to fix. I think it's, I think a lot's going to get fixed just based on them continuing to do what they, they they've been doing. One of the things I think is interesting is when you look at the red zone numbers and you look at Josh Allen actually has been pressured a decent amount in the red zone, but it's they're dropping people into coverage. They're not bringing pressure in the red zone. They're getting home with four, sometimes even three in the red zone, and they're dropping a lot of bodies into coverage. I think one of the things that people might not want to hear, but one of the things that might be beneficial in the red zone is going back to old faithful and going back to quarterback draw. One of the things that we saw a lot early in Josh Allen's career when the Bills got into the red zone is the quarterback draw. You saw a lot of package plays where if the box was light, if there was certain numbers advantages, Josh Allen would just take it and he could run it in from 10, 15 yards out and get John Feliciano running at people, which is always the best place to get John Feliciano screaming downhill against the poor linebacker who he wants to take his face off. So I think that these are things that, you maybe go back to the drawing board a little bit. You go back to old faithful when it comes to getting the numbers. And that's one of, like you talked about rushing in the red zone, right? Rushing in the red zone is good. If you can't get the numbers advantage, using your quarterback as a rusher will help you in the red zone because you're able to get the numbers advantage that you otherwise wouldn't have. So I want to move on a little bit and I want to talk about shout. I want to talk about the Buffalo football podcast that you do with your co-host, Ryan Talbot. First off, I don't know a lot of podcasts that have a billboard. So I want to talk a little bit about the billboard. Now, obviously, I'm not going to have one, not just because I'm a cheapskate, but also because, you know, my face on things is probably not super ideal. But talk to me about the billboard. Talk to me about how this came to be, the idea. What was the idea behind it? What was what were you going for? Because it was all over social media. So whatever the intent was, it was a smashing success. Talk to me a little bit about that because that was really cool. So it the idea for it came sometime in the summer as we were kind of, you know, ratcheting it up different ideas to, you know, get get some marketing around the podcast. And I had been thinking for a while, you know, driving downtown for all the different things that I do. It's just it's always like, you know, busy and I always see kind of interesting billboards around town. So I'm always, I was always thinking like, man, I think that that would make a lot of sense to just, once we get established, like get a, let get a billboard down there for a month and just drive some awareness around what we're doing. And so as we were getting through training camp, I think I, I approached my editor and I said, listen, this is off the wall and I get it. If you don't want to do it, it's probably like, it's super expensive, like depending on where you put it. Like, uh, but I think it could be really good. Like the podcast has been like, you know, as humbly as I could say it really successful. I mean, it's, it's something that I, you know, I always envisioned it when I got back to the beat, like I, I did, I, I thought it was going to be more of like a video show, like, which it is obviously, but I, I had a vision like initially, like, uh, like a studio show. Um, and because of the pandemic that never really materialized and, how we've landed on what we have very similar to what you guys are doing here with the, you know, stream yard. And it's a great platform. I tell people about it all the time. It just worked. Right. And it's easy. It's, it, it allows us to go live two or three times a week, give people live podcasts and then, you know, all of our thoughts and all, all that kind of different stuff. Um, but you know, when we launched it, 
we didn't really have any plans for how big or not big it was going to be. And it's, it's exploded. Like it's, it's, it's been really good for our company and, and by company Syracuse.com. Yes. But advance, which is our, our parent company that has publications all over, you know, the, the country. Um, that's another thing people, a lot of people confuse, like, because we, we do this very multimedia interactive, um, podcast they, I think they confuse us with like, we, 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 I'm still traditional media, right? Like I'm credentialed. Uh, I work for a newspaper. Technically, Syracuse Post Standard is is a newspaper. We cover the bills. And, you know, the Cleveland uh, Plain Dealer, the Oregonian, those are a couple other publications that are under the umbrella. And and so what I what I thought was there's all these great content creators, right? You're one. Uh, Greg Thompson is one. Uh, Rico from Buffalo Fanatics. This is an unmatched market when it comes to fan-driven content creation, in my opinion. And they are doing a lot of cool stuff. I had a lot of ideas from the UFC days, and I came here in a traditional media role, and I said, you know what? I'm going to do some of the traditional media stuff, but I'm also going to bring some of that element and my digital expertise from my time in the UFC, and I'm going to kind of bring it all together, the social media part of it and, and everything like that. And that's how we eventually two years in landed on the show. Sorry if I'm being long winded, cut me off at any time. And so when I got to this summer and I thought, listen, this is this, we're going into the second year. Fans are back. I want to drive awareness. We're going to do all these fun events. I thought that there was things we can market around it, which we did. We did a contest. If you went down to the billboard, snapped a selfie with the billboard in the back, you got entered in the contest. We, we drew the winners on Wednesday dinner and drinks with Ryan and I was the grand prize A guest appearance on the show podcast was the second grand prize. And then giving away some t-shirts, I pitched to my editor and said, Hey, if you want to do it, great. I think it would be great uh, awareness. And not only did they do the, the billboard, which was smashing success. They've run, they, they put together a commercial, which is run uh, in the market now for the, like the last month and a half. So if you're watching like ESPN plus, or you're watching a game on Saturday or Sunday, you, uh, I've seen a bunch of people send me the, the video of, of the commercial and they've done a lot of digital uh, advertising as well. It's, it's just been great. And like what I think we bring and why I think the podcast has been so successful. And we've talked about this before me and you is that. The, the content creation is so great. Like the, the fan part of it, it's necessary. It's needed. It feels like such a unique part of it, but I'm in the building and I can kind of bring the two worlds together in for our show. And I think that's what fans have liked about it. But the cool thing about it too is Bruce, there's so much room for all of this because Bill's fans are absolutely insane. And they just consume this stuff 24 seven. How many people do you have in here watching this on a bye week on a Friday night? It's, it's the group of people that we create for. And it's uh it's pretty awesome. It is awesome. You and I have talked about this before that they're as, as gray as the lines get sometimes between content creation and media, they're still there, right? There's, it, it it's still there. There's still a line. Like you and I are not the same. You're a credentialed, media member, you're in the building, right? You are supplying information that I am then yelling about later on that week. It's mm -hmm. not the same, right? <laughs> the, the insight's not the same. And so I think that it's important to understand that as gray as those things can get, because the method by which the traditional media is communicating with you is similar to the method by which content creators are communicating with you. So the method of delivery is similar, but the origin of content is different. Mm -hmm. My content originates from my brain. Your content originates from things you have observed. It's not the same. 
And so I think your ability to be able to deliver the information in a method that has popularized content creation, content creation was not a thing 15 years ago. Like that was not mm -hmm. a thing. Like people, nobody called anyone a content creator. Now I didn't even know what that word meant when I started podcasting. And then I got on social media. I'm like, Oh, content creator. That's a thing. That was not a thing <laughs> 15 years ago, but it is now. And the method by which content creators popularized communicating with the fan base is something that traditional media can now do too. And the traditional mm -hmm. media who refused that, the people who refused to get on Twitter, the people who refused to be on a podcast, those people are, are struggling. But that you have the other traditional media members, like, great example, my first podcast ever, my introduction to podcast was at the time, the Bills beat, now the Buffalo beat, with Matthew Fairburn and Joe Biscaglia. I had mm -hmm. no idea what a podcast was. And then I listened to them, I go, oh, it's a podcast. This is a thing I... I, I click on and then they talk to me. It's like the radio only I can pause it. And so for me, that was a big deal. That was a really, really, really big deal. And so I think that your ability to be traditional media, but communicate with the fan base in the way that the content creators have that have helped them popularize content creation, I think is a big deal. So that's something that I just, I kind of wanted to talk about. I want to talk a little bit about you and Ryan Talbot and your distribution of duties because the two of you are kind of like partners in crime. You'll take this and he'll take that and you're the left hand and he's the right hand. How do you guys decide who's going to do what? And is it a specialty thing? Is it I'm good at this and you're good at this? Is it a chronology thing? Is it a time frame thing? When you guys are saying, okay, we're going to make sure we get this general work done and then you have to delineate between your work and his work, how does that happen? So the cool thing about Ryan and I, and this this happened organically, like this isn't something that, you know, uh, was there when I got here or anything. It's just, we just click so well together. There's There's no ego involved in how we cover the team. None. It's almost impossible to have this in the business. I've worked in pretty much every kind of walk of professional sports on both sides of the thing, from the league side, to the team side, to the the actual media side. And the problem that I feel like a lot of places deal with is there's ego. And I got to do this or I got to do that. I will tell you right now, and I'm not even talking about the market. I'm talking about people that I know in other markets would have a real problem. Because I'm te technically the, the beat guy, right? I'm the beat reporter, technically. And Ryan is, you know, uh, a freelancer, per, I guess, like, technically. If I talk to friends in the, in the business that you know deal with their own little like organizational problems, and one of the things that always comes along it is is they're like the established beat guy at the at the paper. There are certain things that just should fall on them. I I gotta break this news. I gotta write this story. I gotta cover this story. Like nobody else is gonna cover this. For me and Ryan, for me. And, and I think that it, it has to come from the guy that's the beat guy. Otherwise, the ego is going to infiltrate it all is if you have something, I'm going to lift that up. If I have something, you're going to lift that up. How can we do this? There's been days. I'll tell you right now, Bruce, over the course of my three years here, he's he's been the probably more of the beat writer than I have, like breaking stories on like cut days or free agency days. You know what I do on those days? I sit back and I, I, first of all, I clap for my friend because that's the coolest part about it is 
part of the egoless part of this is that we become such good friends when he's in town his family comes over we hang out his our wives get along really great our kids his kids come over and like like play harry potter for hours with my son who's absolutely obsessed with it like there's a true friendship there and there's a there's a true respect there and that's what all these kind of relationships are built on when you find that that why i'm telling you all that is because that's what then lifts up our chemistry on the show and people talk about it all the time. Like I can watch you two for hours. You have such a naturalness to the way that you guys communicate. And it's because it's like that every day we check in with each other every day. And it's not like there's never an, can I ask you if I can do something? It's always between us. I'm doing this. I'm doing that. Okay. How do I then build around that? Who had an idea? Like we, we check in with each other most days, but you know, even if we don't, even if, if, if he gets to work it on something, it's like, okay, how can I support that? How can I write around that? How can I like bring, you know, coverage from Buffalo to what he's writing about that I think is going to do really good numbers. So it's just, it, it, we've just gotten lucky one in a million type of situation where you have a respect, you have a friendship and you have like a real, like, you know, trust in a guy, you know, it's, it's been awesome. I'm going to get all like uh, teary eyed here, but no, he's really one of my best friends. And I'm glad you brought that up. I'm glad you brought up ego because that's something that can make or break a lot of relationships in this business and a lot of other businesses. I think one of the things that's interesting about this journey for me anyway, has been that when I had, you know, 72 followers on Twitter and I had a podcast that had 12 listeners, I didn't think I really had to worry about keeping my ego in check because there was really nothing for me to worry about. <laughs> but I think what happens is as you get bigger and as you get more popular it's your ego is a little bit like you know this this animal it's inside you and you just you just can't feed it that much you can you can feed it enough to keep you healthy to keep you going but you feed it too much it becomes gluttonous it becomes overwhelming it drags you down it gets cantankerous it's an issue and you see this in media and content creation across the NFL sports in general and even outside sports is that ego starts to seep in and destroy relationships and destroy the relationship that the content creator or the media has with other media, other content creators, or the fans. Mm -hmm. It's this idea that we're all performing a show for the fans. That's what it is. Because we're all performing a show and I can't appear to be wrong. I can't appear to be weak. I can't appear to be lesser. I can't appear to be second place. It's not good enough. Can I, I have can to... I Go ahead. Can I jump in here and say yeah. just one little thing on this? Yeah. You know, the just what you just said there really struck me, like the being wrong, right? Because we, we give takes, right? We give, we we cover this, like the, 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 the chance that, that we're going to be wrong. Guess what? Everybody that does this for a living is going to be wrong in something that they say or something that they do. And guess what? Here's another thing. If you are on the media side of it, you don't know as much as the guys that are on the NFL football playing side of these things. And if you take yourself too seriously, you will get laughed out of that locker room. Listen, every time I talk to a player, every time I talk to a coach, there's a general understanding that I'm in a, in a situation where I'm attempting to learn something, to glean something from that conversation, because that's what a journalist does. You know, in a lot of ways, that's what a content creator does too. I mean, I think we talk about this all the time. How much do you, you talk about listening to the Buffalo beat? How much do you read? How much do you listen? How much do you consume? You're learning about something every day that 
that that a lot of these people in the NFL or NBA or whatever whatever other walk of life that we're covering as media or non-traditional media, you know, they've spent a lifetime perfecting, studying. And my craft is journalism at, at the core of everything. And, and my number one expertise is not football. I tell you right now, I probably at this point, I've covered the league for three, three, four years. I probably know more about MMA than I do about football, just from an X's and O standpoint, right? Just because all the time I spent with fighters. And so I think having that just as a little sidebar, that's so important to not take yourself too seriously as an expert on this thing. I'll never carry myself as that because I'm not that none of us are that, you know, uh, Stephen A. Smith's not that. Nick Wright's not that. And I'll tell you right now, some of the best reporters that you read, they're not that either, even if they pretend to be. And I think it's important. It's about understanding the role. It's about understanding the thing you're good at, the thing you're not, and just not letting just not letting ego get in the way. And the fact that you and Ryan have a relationship where the ego's not getting in the way of either the two of you working together or the two of you working with the public is, I think, important. You are listening to Food for Thought a Buffalo Rumblings live vidcast and podcast. A reminder that Matt is coming to you on the Thrive Fantasy hotline. Come prop up with Thrive Fantasy this football season. Thrive Fantasy is a daily fantasy sports and esports app for player props. With Thrive, you can eliminate the countless hours of research and focus on only the top-tier athletes that have the biggest impact on the game. Choose 10 out of the 20 available player props to build your lineup. Each prop is assigned a fantasy value for both the over and the under based on how likely it is to hit. Hit the most props and rack up the most points to win a share of the prize pool. Thrive has awarded over $4 million so far. Thrive's featured $100,000 guaranteed contest is $20 to enter, and first place takes home $20,000. Use promo code BUFFBILLS, B-U-F-F-B-I-L-L-S, B-U-F-F-B-I-L-L-S, when you sign up today and you will receive a $100,000 instant first deposit match up to $100. Let me rephrase that. You will receive 100% instant first deposit match up to $100. Download Thrive Fantasy on the App Store or Play Store or by visiting their website, thrivefantasy.com. That's www.thrivefantasy.com. Sign up and prop up today. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Matt, we have a email to go through. If you have questions for Matt Perino, myself, just by the way, ask Matt the questions. You get me every week. You don't get Matt every week. So if you have questions for Matt specifically, go ahead and put them in the comments now. And while I am waiting for those comments to accumulate, reminder, I will get to as many comments as I possibly can. I will absolutely get to every single YouTube super chat. While we are waiting for these things, I am going to read an email that I received this week with an almighty take. 
then they sent it to me and it was a ridiculous almighty take because Evan always sends a ridiculous almighty take. And he said, Bruce, so remember the last time the Bills lost a close heartbreaker of a game going into the bye week? Of course you do. We all do. We have only had to see that play on repeat for the past year and now in that stat that commercial. But do you remember what happened next? The 2020 Buffalo Bills ran roughshod over the remaining schedule and it wasn't close. Well, now the 2021 Buffalo Bills with the number one scoring offense and number one scoring defense, just a side note, they actually went down number two and number two, are again coming off a bye following a heartbreaking loss with a few seconds left on a fluky play. And they're going to make it everybody's problem. Victim one, Miami Dolphins. Remember what happened earlier this season after a Bills loss when they played Miami? The defense basically assaulted Tua into injured reserve. And the offense wasn't even kicking yet, and it still scored 35 points. Now the defense has a chip on their shoulders big enough to fill in the Niagara Gorge. And Josh Allen is coming off a 353-yard, three-touchdown performance in a loss. This may be my most reasonable email yet, Bruce. The Buffalo Bills will once again blow out the Miami Dolphins by a massive margin, expanding their lead, leaguing point differential. I don't care if they have Tua, Jacoby, or a guy named Deshaun, but but he's great. He's also embroiled in controversy and last season carried Houston to four wins. The defensive line looks great against paper mache Miami offensive line. Takeaway Trey gets takeaways. Josh reminds them he owes them with five total touchdowns, and Zach and or Devin run wild on them. Isaiah McKenzie returns one because Taiwan Jones has no, knows how to block without holding. McDermott still goes right back to his office to write up a game plan that will get Urban Meyer fired and or resigned due to health or family issues. Let's get this 15-2 and two freight train to SoFi Stadium rolling. So that was the take from Evan. I want to ask you about Miami and Deshaun. Do you think there's something there with the Miami Deshaun? Because it feels like this thing prop pops up every little bit. It popped up in August. It popped up in September. It's popping up again. It feels like it's being leaked by the Dolphins to try to solicit more interest in Deshaun Watson before mm -hmm. the trade deadline because they really don't want to hang on to him for an entire year and eat everything. you think there's something to this Miami-Deshaun thing, Matt? Well, um, the let's let's look at what happened in the last... 72 hours right like the all the the who's who of the houston media scene come out and with reports that there could be a trade any day now right okay like so that's obviously sources within the you know within the building and i, I will say too doesn't surprise me that an organization now run by david cully in a lot of ways has those kinds of leaks. I mean, to me, from the moment they hired David Culley, that was a, you know, not a Rex Ryan hiring, but, you know, had the potential to be an organization that had little oversight, that had little experience of how to run an organization, you know, and listen, I know Nick Casario comes from the Patriots, you know, uh, world, but I think that he's messed up this Deshaun Watson situation, even since before, um, you know, let me rephrase that. He didn't mess it up, but I think that the the environment that he walked into was a mess because of how he was hired and all the things that are happening there with the organization. I don't think that it's an organization right now that is as is in the among the top stable organizations in the league. So there's that. Not surprising that you know they're trying to get the the, the this thing moving a little bit in Houston because they want to get rid of him. He doesn't want to be there. You know, he's got all these looming, you know, uh, legal issues now. I, I was listening to a story the other day that that um, or listening to somebody, a reporter on, on a radio hit, I think. And they were talking about that 
you know, th- this could be a potential where he's suspended for the entire 2022 season, depending on what actually comes out. Like you're talking about worst case scenario, you could trade for him if you're Miami, not make the playoffs this year, and then he's out for all of 2022. So what do you have to show for it? If, if that what has been alleged by a lot of people, mind you, comes to, to fruition. So there's that part of it. Then you, you go to Miami, which I think in a lot of ways has been just, I don't want to say just as ineptly run, but pretty close to it. I think Brian Flores, for as much as I liked about him in his first year, what he did down there in Miami uh, to get that thing, the ship righted, it seemed, uh, as they got on a, on a path, you know, set a course, with all this draft capital, they they drafted a quarterback, all these kinds of, th- you know, what they did in free agency, who they drafted. I liked a lot of the things. It's just been an absolute, you know, what show the last two years. And it started with the, you know, the hot and cold on Tua as a rookie. Listen, if you, if you don't think he's ready to play, don't play him. I mean, that's, it drives me absolutely nuts when, when teams, you know, go to the rookie and then waver on it. Just because you have a veteran, we know what Ryan Fitzpatrick is. I know you want to win games, but you have to have some type of 30,000 foot view of what you are. And you got to put yourself in, you know, that category and say, okay, we're going to take these lumps right now because we got to figure out what we got into. We got to give them these important game reps. So I didn't like what they did last year by any stretch. Then you come into this year, they're, you know, everything around this organization from, the way they went into last offseason when the report came out from Armando Salguero that players in the organization didn't believe in Tua. You know, part of the problem with that was, you know, the, the message that they received from their coaching staff, they didn't believe in Tua because they were pulling them and putting in Ryan Fitzpatrick. Then you come into this year, all the Deshaun Watson hype starting to happen. Listen, for a guy going into his second year that was a fifth overall pick, this stuff doesn't happen if you believe in the quarterback. So Brian Flores can say till he's blue in the face that he believes in the quarterback. There's real, you know, you know, I think there's real concern within the building. Now I trust Marcel Louis Jacques more than probably anybody in this business. And if he's got sources telling him that there's no uh, real validity to this, I'm all in on that. And, and that's where I'm sitting. And it, and it kind of more looks like, okay, what's going on in Houston. They're trying to, you know, drum up business, if you will, by getting some reports out there that the trade could be coming in the next couple of days. I mean, that's PR one oh one, right? I, I don't know. I think, with the media that's come out in the last couple of days, we heard from Lewis Riddick on ESPN talking about, you know, what a potential trade for Deshaun Watson could mean PR wise. I don't know, man. I don't see it getting done. But then again, Miami's been an inept run organization the last couple of years. And this would be another, you know, inept move in a string of them. I mentioned last year when the back and forth with Ryan Fitzpatrick and two was going that I, I, I had lost a little bit of shine on Brian Flores and I got kind of lambasted for it on Twitter. I flat out said, listen, he's trying to serve two masters. He's trying to win over the vets in the locker room with the better quarterback and also trying to develop Tua. And you can't, you can't do both. You can pick one or the other. That's the way it works. I hate using, I hate using the bills for every like example, but it's the team I cover, right? Very, very like intimately. I'm in the building every day, all the time. I see all the little pieces of how this thing works. And I feel like teams around the league should take the, the examples that work. Look how they treat that and take something from it. Don't you think Micah Hyde and Jordan Poyer and Jerry Hughes rookie year, Josh Allen, were sitting around there saying, man, this is, this is, this isn't great. Maybe, maybe if we put Derek Anderson in there, maybe we can win a couple more games. Did, did they ever waver? Did they ever take Josh Allen out? Now, I will argue that I think Josh Allen rookie year was better than Tua rookie year, but still, get my point? Absolutely, I get your point. And the fact of the matter is, if if the coach tells you with his actions that he's not sure if you should believe in that quarterback as the leader of the team, then why should you? Why should you do it? And 
Josh Allen, even when he wasn't performing well, if you have the backing of your quarterback and you show the leadership traits early and you, you stand up there in front of the vets and say, listen, I know I'm struggling right now. I promise you, I promise you that I will bust my rear and I will get better. Then your vets are like, you know what? I like this kid. I'll wait. I like this kid. I'll wait for him to be good. I'll support him while he's not good because I believe he could be because I see these things in practice that will help him become good. You don't need to be good when you're a quarterback rookie. You just need to convince the vets that you're willing to put in the work to become good. And the coaches need to support you in that. And that's not what happened in Miami. That's not what happened at all. So one question from Mr. Diggs, when is the trade deadline? Any player at the front of Brandon Bean's mind, your Brandon Bean, are you sniffing around players at the trade deadline? I feel like one thing while we're, while we're having this discussion, the NFL trade deadline in the NFL is almost always a disappointment. Just go ahead and I'll just go ahead and throw that out there. It's almost always a disappointment. There's always these ideas that, okay, what about this guy? What about this guy? Sometimes we'll see a lower level player get traded, but very rarely is it a splashy trade deadline. Just so you know, it's November 2nd. But if you were the Buffalo Bills, would you be sniffing around players at the trade deadline? And do you have any names you might be thinking of? Zero percent at the cornerback position. I know that that's always floated out there. There's this, you know, and I might be talking to the right guy here because we know we all know that, you know, the secondary is your speciality. But I just don't see it. I don't see it from a team perspective. And I don't even see it as a need. I wouldn't even put in the top three needs cornerback too. I think Levi Wallace has been good this year. Like I think that he's been good to this point. I think there's always the chance that because he plays with Travis White, he can get picked on a little bit, but this is a defense that now knows that and can probably set things up to, you know, limit that impact in a game, especially if they're getting pressure up front. I think it comes down to, listen, another thing that comes down to is like when you're not getting, when you're not winning up front, your cornerbacks are going to look worse no matter what, whether it's Tredavious White or Levi Wallace or or otherwise. You go to Tampa Bay, they were dominant in the playoffs last year. You know, I, I wasn't overly impressed with their secondary. They had some good players, don't get me wrong, but we're not talking about the Legion of Boom or anything like that. They were getting after the quarterback. That's where you have to win in this league, in my opinion. So that's where I would go. I would go to the defensive line. If you think there's an upgradable piece you know, I, I mentioned in a perfect world going out and getting a Batman, right? Well, those Batmans don't come cheap. The Bills don't have any cap room. I mean, they'd have to do, as our buddy Greg Thompson said today, some Olympics style uh, gymnastics to get under to get to a cap spot where they can, you know, take in a contract like a Khalil Mack. If for some reason the Chicago Bears, who weren't willing to come to the trade table with the Raiders, I believe it was in the summer, a few months later, uh, willing to you know trade him, I doubt that that's even the case. You're not probably going to be able to land a premier pass rusher. Teams usually aren't willing to give those guys away unless there's a problem. You know the Chandler Jones rumors earlier in this year, but it looks like they're trending in a good direction because they're winning. And so I don't think there's there's necessarily that guy. Emmanuel Ogba is a guy that I think is interesting. I think he's a guy that could come in and be an upgrade on a few pieces. He's making a seven and a half million. You'd have to do some work. But if the Miami Dolphins are like, hey, man, we're sitting here, they lose this week, and you're, you're sitting there at one and six, and you got to start, you know, getting rid of some parts, that, that might be one uh, with I think he's got seven and a half million uh, still to go next year I, I had his contract up i delete i i closed it but that's an, a name that i had i know you know we were talking about andrew norwell uh from jacksonville an interior offensive lineman i don't see that either just because of what i think they believe in their guys at the end of the day 
You got Darrell Williams now at right guard. You got Feliciano at left guard. You have backups in Ike Bucker who can also play center. John Feliciano can play center. And then Cody Ford who can play both guard spots in a pinch. I still think the Cody Ford situation is one of the more interesting things in, you know, in recent Buffalo Bills history. Just, you know, listen, I'm not some Cody Ford apologist or do I see some pro bell caliber player, but it's crazy to me, like, the guy's never been given like a, 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 a even a half season stretch at one position. It just hasn't happened. Like I, I think that one thing they might look back on if, if they get need to go back to Cody Ford at some point in the season, that they were a little bit too hasty in this move that they made. Now, they didn't really have a lot of choices because I think they wanted to get Spencer Brown in the field. And to do that, you weren't going to bench John Feliciano or Daryl Williams. You just weren't. I still think they're part of your best five offensive linemen at this point. So you had to do something and Cody Ford was just the natural, you know, choice. But I still sit here and think we don't really know what Cody Ford. I don't think we've seen enough Cody Ford yet. That's that's just my my thoughts on it. Two names that have nothing to do with the bills that I think you could see moved before the trade deadline. I think Jameson Crowder from the Jets Mm. could get moved. I think Marlon Mack from the Colts could Mm. get moved. Both of those are players who could get moved. I'd be I wouldn't be shocked to see Marlon Mack to like the Ravens. And mm-hmm. Jamison Crowder to essentially anywhere so they can get Elijah Moore on the field. So I, I think, think I read there. I think I read Mac maybe to the Chiefs, depending on how long Edwards Hilaire is out. Is there an update on that? Like, is he out for an extended period? He's on IR, so it's at least three weeks. Right. Um, but MCL sprain, no surgery. So gotcha. however long so that's it takes, probably not as bad. You yeah. know, however long it takes to recover from that. Uh, Joe Marino is in the comments right now. It says Perino is team pass rush over coverage. I, that doesn't surprise me. I think I am essentially by myself in team coverage over pass rush. I think as far <laughs> as the Bills content creator and Bills media who I've talked to, I think it's just me. It's it. I'm the Jon Snow drawing my sword against the hordes of against the hordes of uh, horses that barrel down on me. And you know what? That's that's okay. That's okay because 30 years from now. Long after I have retired from this thing, people don't even know my name at that point. The Twitter account is dusty and deleted. Then everyone will be like, hey, you guys remember that Bruce Nolan guy? Wasn't he the guy who was coverage over pass rush? Now we just call all kind of assume it. But yeah, yeah, it was me. I'm a pioneer. That's right, baby. Okay. Do you think that you'll, you'll, when will be an acceptable time to come out from the curtains and reveal the wizard? I don't think, I don't think ever. I really don't. This, I, I, think, I can't, I think, I think I can't accept that. I think I'll retire. I think I'll retire before that ever happens. Well, what if you like, think there's going to be a time. Wow. Okay. Like I thought that there would be some day like this grand reveal. Like yeah. that's you're, you're, so you're telling everybody like, don't hold your breath. Don't hold your breath. I, I don't think okay. it's ever going to happen. I think there's a very reasonable chance that in a couple years I scale back and do even less of this stuff. Maybe just go down to one show a week and just dabble in that. And, and then, you know, three or you know, four or five years from now, I'm probably not even doing it. So for me, it's this was a this was a cool hobby that I did that helped me kind of get through a, a time in my life where I didn't have any hobbies and it was good that I had it when uh when the pandemic hit and I couldn't go out anyway. Not like I was going to go out anyway, but <laughs> you know, it was a cool thing for me to do. But I, it, you know, there's there's a very reasonable chance I'm not around long term, so there's no reason for me to have to uh, be a uh, be a, a anything more than a faceless nameless voiceless fake character in the ether last thing i want to talk to you about matt winners and losers from this week in the nfl winners and losers from this week in the nfl so overall the entire league let's talk about it so winners and losers 
the number one winner for me is Mike Vrabel. He's the number one winner. I think he needed this game against the Buffalo Bills. I think he needed it. I think a lot of things have kind of started to get a little bit stale for the Tennessee Titans. And I think that they needed a win over a contender to be able to prove that the path that they're on is still sustainable. That Ryan Tannehill, play action offense, Derrick Henry, running back focused, the defense just trying desperately to hang on because the defense was horrendous last year and it hasn't been good this year. And now all of a sudden you had a good game for Bud Dupree. So some of the investment you made this offseason is kind of starting to peek in. I think Mike Vrabel, John Robinson, and the Tennessee Titans desperately needed this win a lot more than the Buffalo Bills did to validate some of the track that they're on. He's my biggest winner in the NFL this week. Matt, who's your biggest, biggest winner in the NFL this week? Biggest winner. So my biggest winner is um, Aaron Rodgers, Green Bay Packers quarterback. And I, every moment that goes by in the Aaron Rodgers saga, and that's what it is at this point, right? I mean, the guy has just become a drama all on his own, just like gets the people going. Like I... I'm here for all of the Aaron Rodgers pettiness slash like, I don't give an F. I'm going to say whatever the hell I want. And I'm not going to apologize to anybody about it. When he did had that line and it wasn't even the line, like saying, I still own the bears. Great. Like, that's cool. Like they picked it up fine. Most guys like are going to walk that back. He didn't, he wasn't bashful about it in the slightest. He just owned the moment and, and listen, He's the man till he till he gets beat, right? That's the 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 age old Ric Flair line: to be the man, you got to beat the man. The Bears don't beat the man when it comes to Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers. I thought it was funny, uh, you know, Tom Brady getting some love. Has there been a a figure that's gone from so universally disliked as Tom Brady? And obviously in Buffalo, we know the background there, but I'm talking about nationally. Like people hated the Patriots, people hated Tom Brady. Now he's like a national treasure i mean even the most like the people that like hated tom brady like the most have kind of been like damn it i just hate the fact that i love tom brady now the guy is just like social media gold podcast interview gold he came out and said he'd like to congratulate aaron Rodgers for becoming a shareholder in the bears just like just funny stuff man like i'd say maybe both of those guys are winners this week because i just in a world where it's all about reading between the lines and trying to get anything out of so many players, and maybe that's just I can blame it on the day job because the Bills are are pretty buttoned up. And, you know, they they take on the image of their their head coach, and I'm sure everybody's watched the Sean McDermott press conference and you know seen the similarities of some of the guys that talk a lot like him. And you know, it is what it is. That's their it's their culture. It's the way that it works for them. I'm not even saying it in a negative way, um, but it just. You know, being a media guy and you know looking at it, it's cool to see somebody that says something and then is unabashed. Is unabashed? Like that's what I think. That's what it. That's what it is. And so, winner, Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers, give a deep. His give a bleep meter is completely broken. <laughs> Just gone. Just <laughs> at zero. Right. He yes. is busy looking for all of the F's that he left in his other pants. He's turning out his pockets going, I'm sorry, I, I don't have any. I don't know what happened. I, I think I must have left them in my other pants. I, I I swear I had them on me. I I swear I'd lose my head if it wasn't attached. I'm sorry, guys. I just don't have any left to give you. I have no Fs left to give you, Aaron Rodgers said. Okay, biggest loser. I'm going to go first, Baker Mayfield. Baker Mayfield, Ooh. biggest loser this week. Not just because of the shoulder, but because Case Keenum was reasonable. 
again, in, in Kevin Stefanski's system. And one of the conversation starters coming out is that, okay, what has Baker Mayfield shown you that Case Keenum hasn't in Stefanski's system? Because you go back, all of a sudden, a lot of people going back and watching Case Keenum in Stefanski's system in Minnesota. A lot of people are going back and watching that, where he was a top 10 quarterback and convinced the Denver Broncos to give him a lot of money. And if Case Keenum is a reasonable facsimile for Baker Mayfield, aside from the arm strength, which is a very clear difference between Mayfield and Keenum, aside from that, Baker Mayfield's thinking, maybe I should have signed that deal this offseason. I'm not saying he's going to get Wally pipped. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that it should be a significant contrast. When Josh Allen goes out and Matt Barkley comes in last year, or if Josh Allen goes out and Mitchell Trubisky comes in, there's a significant contrast. There's things that Josh Allen can, that Mitchell Trubisky can't do. Heck, there's things Josh Allen can do that not a lot of humans on the planet can do. When you look at Baker Mayfield in Kevin Stefanski's system, play action, zone-based running scheme, get the quarterback deep away from the line of scrimmage, hit the intermediate crossers, do those things. It starts to make you wonder, okay, do I want to sign up for $40 million for Baker Mayfield? Because at the beginning of this year, it was maybe you do that knowing that this is your second year to fancy system. You're going to see a new level for Baker Mayfield. And now I'm not saying that shoulder injury isn't a big part of it. It absolutely is a big part of it. It 100% is a big part of it. However, there's a missed opportunity to show the next level. And in place of that, you're seeing somebody else who is a reasonable facsimile of what you already saw. So me, biggest loser, Baker Mayfield. Matt, close us on out. Who's your biggest loser in the NFL this week? Oh, I really want to give it to Bill Belichick for being 0-4 Gillette and hosting the Jets with a chance to go to 0-5 this week at Gillette, which would just be, I mean, there's not a lot more loser uh, you know, type of uh, characterization than that right there. But I can't not give it to John Gruden, who's the biggest loser of 2021. You know, learning about him and like his whole shtick over over the years, like really comes into focus. And listen, man, like that kind of stuff is, you know, I've not talked about this at all. Like, you know, we cover the bills and we're in the midst of like a really big two game stretch. And so this is the first time really publicly I've said anything about it. And, you know, John Gruden is just like, listen, I I get both sides of it. Like, you know, the cancel culture is really, you know, um, it's not ideal, honestly, the way that we've evolved into this. Like, let's just get everybody out of there and like whatever. But these are like insensitive, just nasty, bad type of guy things that we that we've come to learn about him. This is just a, a guy that has, you know, very hateful approach to the way that he deals with people. And the worst part about it is he lies about it. What's weird is like, it's amazing to me that these people can like live these double lives, right? To talk like that about a player, you know, a black player on your team, um, you or, or a black, a black person in general. And then the coach, a team predominantly made up of black people to have black people in your, on your coaching staff and to go to work every day and look those people in the eye, knowing what you do on the side. Like, listen, nobody's got like a clean, empty closet, right? Like everybody's got things that they're not proud of, but like, w- at what point do you get to a certain age? Like there's things I did in high school that I'm not proud of, or like in middle school or whatever. Right. Like I stole a candy bar sometime probably. Right. 
But what time do you have to be responsible as, as an adult? Those aren't things that happened when John Gruden was 10 years old, 15 years old. He was a, a grown man doing this stuff. And so, like, yeah, epic, lo- epic loser. Like, man, I couldn't be more disappointed just that we're, you know, still dealing with that. Like, you, you, you still see it on the periphery. And, and maybe, like, it's something that it obviously over the court racism, you know, social injustice. It's something that I feel like has come at least a small amount of ways, like in just a, in general day to day. But man, you see stuff like this and you just realize, man, we have, we have so far to go in this and it's just, it sucks. This is the second week in a row that John Gruden has been the biggest loser on somebody's Nate gear. Oh, I'm sorry. Had John Gruden as the biggest loser last week, Matt Perino has it biggest loser this week. John got double dipped by the food for thought podcast and was the biggest loser two weeks in a row from my co-host. Take that, John Gruden. As if getting fired and losing a $100 million contract was not good enough, Matt Perino and Nate Geary also say good day to you, sir. Mr. Perino, thank you so much for being a part of this. I know I ran a little bit longer than I normally do. Thank you so much for taking time out of your Friday night. I cannot thank you enough. We talked a lot uh, today about ego, and one of the things that I really appreciate about you is that you've always been very gracious to me. Uh, since I came on board, you've been gracious. You've sat down with me anytime I've ever called you. I try to avoid calling you frequently because you have a job to do. But anytime I've ever asked something of you, you have been gracious enough to join me. And I, I just can't tell you how much I appreciate it. So thank you for being here. Well, thank you for having me. Uh, it's great to have so many talented people and not only just talented people, but awesome people in the community, man. Like, you know, the of course, like Bill's Mafia, but like, you know, which by the way, that was a whole nother thing over the weekend. I mean, we're wrapping up the show, but that was something that funny that happened in Nashville. I always tell people like, I, I don't root for the bills. I'm no bills cheerleader anymore. Like I grew up a bills fan. There's no, there's no denying that, but I have a job to do. I'm an unbiased reporter when I'm in that room, but I'll tell you what I'm, when I'm where I'm not unbiased and that's bills mafia. I grew up in Buffalo. I'm Buffalo through and through people that go to that stadium on Sundays. Like that was me for 35 years of my life. Those are my people. And so will there always be a piece of me that roots for the bills? for those people of course there will be and you know one cool thing about the job is that there's so many amazing like more so than the talent that they have about what they do the people like the community that i think we all have you mentioned joe marino uh looking forward to maybe getting together with him in a in a couple weeks when he comes back to town there's just so many good people and you're one of them and thank you for having me on my friend ladies and gentlemen we did it thank you for joining me i hope your reservation was well filled tonight on Food for Thought, and I hope you didn't leave hungry.